0: Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 51. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and science with an emphasis on the great philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Some central tenets of this podcast are, one, that there is more going on in the world than blind, purposeless, naturalistic materialism. And what is this? It is called Geist in German, translated as mind or spirit in English. Two, that evolution is central to the universe. Three, that there is a higher realm, but it is not separate from us. It is spirit, Geist, and it is within us all. And four, that we are all part of an historical process of increasing human consciousness of spirit, which allows freedom and rationality to evolve in this world. And that brings us to the topic of this episode. Today, I will be looking specifically at meaning. Yes, meaning. And in particular, the role meaning plays in first Jung's notion of synchronicity, secondly, in Charles Pierce's notion of semiotics, otherwise known as his theory of signs, thirdly, a more existential look at Viktor Frankl's famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, and his notion of local therapy, and lastly, how this all relates to Hegel's famous dictum, that substance is subject. Now, we've discussed each of these topics in previous episodes in some depth, but my purpose today is to bring them all together for a more holistic understanding of just what's going on here under the umbrella topic of meaning. My bottom line is that meaning is fundamental to the universe, and this can be taken in two ways. Literally fundamental as being there at the beginning of it all, or more existentially that we find ourselves in existence and the best strategy for dealing with our existence is to find a meaningful purpose in life. Either way you get there, meaning is central to leading a productive life, I believe. Now, Let's begin by defining just what we mean by the term meaning. And it's funny, it sounds like a circular argument or tautology asking the question, what is the meaning of the word meaning? It's 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 almost it reminds me of what US President Bill Clinton said under oath, it depends on what the meaning of the word is is, if you remember that one. Now, according to Webster, the word meaning has three meanings. One, the thing, idea, or message that is conveyed by a word or a sign. Two, something that is meant or intended as in a purpose. And three, something of significant quality. The first case, meaning signifies what specifically a word or sign intends to signify. The word tree is a sign that intends to signify the big, tall, green thing that grows in your backyard. In the second case... Something intended as in a purpose, it, it, it can be used as follows. The actress meant to cause a stir with her outfit on the red carpet. Her intention or purpose was to cause a stir. That's what she meant to do. That's the second meaning of the word meaning. And the third case, it denotes something important or significant, such as it was very meaningful that President Zelensky of Ukraine stayed in Kiev and did not flee. It was a sign of strength and resilience to stay in the face of an oncoming attack. So those are three different definitions for the word meaning. And what we're going to be covering is just how important meaning is to everything and on a very deep level. In fact, as I said, I believe it may lie at the deepest level that there is. So we begin by discussing psychologist Carl Jung's famous notion of synchronicity, basically Synchronicity is a meaningful relationship between two or more events that do not have a physical causal link. And let me provide two examples here to to make this clear. One is personal. The second one involves a Hollywood actor. So let's begin with my personal experience. I've had many, but this, this is a really interesting one. My mother, when she was alive, lived in Manhattan, New York City, and used to go out and photograph scenes around the city, which she would then use as the basis for paintings of hers. She loved to paint and did many paintings, but first she'd go out and take a a photograph and then base the painting on that photograph. Well, she was out one day taking shots and she noticed a very cute couple across the street from her, so she took a picture. Now, I was over at her apartment visiting a few months after this, and she was showing me pictures of her recent photos and deciding which would be the basis for her next painting. And going through the photos with her, the one with a couple across the street caught my eye. And looking at that photo, I could see that the couple were standing next to a phone booth. And this was back in the 1980s when they still had phone booths on many streets. What was interesting was, if you looked at the photo carefully and through the glass of the phone booth, right through it, you could see the window of a building behind the phone booth. And you could see in that window there was an advertisement, a poster displayed in that window. So looking through the glass of the phone booth, you could clearly see an ad of some sort displayed in the window of the building behind the booth. Now, you could also clearly see a young man working on a computer featured in that ad. Though small, you could clearly see the young man's face in the photo. So my mom snaps this photo of a couple. There's a phone booth also in the photo. And you can clearly see an ad displayed in the window behind the phone booth showing a young man. Now, who is that young man working on the computer? You might have guessed it. It was me. No, I was not a professional model. A photography crew had once come into the place that that I worked. It was an accounting firm. And they took photos of various people in various office settings. I'm not sure why they were there but it was a favor of some kind for someone high up in the organization. I had to sign a release after my photo was taken. The photo evidently was then sold into stock art, and Citibank, a large bank in New York, I think they're international now, picked it up and used it for their banking services ad. I was still working at the accounting firm when, to my surprise, I saw myself featured in this ad. It was displayed in many Citibank locations throughout the city. So here I was, pictured in this ad, which could be seen through a phone booth in a photo my mother had taken a couple of months before of a couple walking down the street. My mother had no knowledge I was in that photo. And it was me that recognized it when she showed me the photo. And even more interesting, the glass of the phone booth even served as an unintended frame for the ad featuring me in the photo. Pretty crazy stuff. That is a meaningful coincidence. Now, what are the chances of that happening? You send a person on the street and randomly take photos, and she'll get one of of her child. Maybe, what, one in 10 million? Who knows? Now, let me relate another example, and this is a good one. This has to do with the movie actor Anthony Hopkins. In 1973, Hopkins was given the role in a movie based on a book entitled The Girl from Petrovka. It's a book written by George Pfeiffer. Hopkins had not actually read the book when he was signed to do it. So he wanted to get a copy and read it and was not available in his local bookstore where he lived in England. So he took the train into London to go to one of the bigger bookstores where he hoped to find it. This was in 1973, way before Amazon. So after going to many large bookstores in London, to surprise, he could not find a copy of the book. So he gave up. He decided to take the train back home. Now, while sitting on a bench Waiting for the train to arrive, he noticed an abandoned book sitting on a nearby bench. No one else was around. He walked over and picked it up. You guessed it, it was the book he was looking for, The Girl from Petrovka. Now that alone would be a major example of synchronicity, but we're just getting started here. In reading the book for his preparation for the role, Hopkins noted that there were notes scribbled in the margins on many pages, and his handwritten notes helped him better understand the role he would be playing, almost like the author himself had scribbled the notes in the book. Now, once the film actually began production, the author of the book, George Pfeiffer, visited the movie set. He and Hopkins had a discussion about the book and Hopkins' role in the film. During their talk, Hopkins related the story of how he found the book in the train station, how remarkable it was with the notes scribbled inside. Pfeiffer looked bewildered when he heard this, and he asked Hopkins if he had a copy of that book with him on the set. And Hopkins said, yes, I do. And Pfeiffer said, can I please see it? Hopkins went and got the book and showed it to Pfeiffer, and then a look of shock appeared on Pfeiffer's face when when he realized. He said, you're not going to believe this, but this is actually my own copy of, of this book. And I had lent it to a friend, and he told me he lost it. And those are indeed my own notes, the author of the book. That, ladies and gentlemen, is synchronicity. Now, I'm sure many of you have had your own interesting experiences with events such as this. Now, a big question arises here. If the events are randomly generated and yet we see meaning in them. Did the universe somehow conspire to create the connection? Did some invisible hand direct my mother to the exact location where my Citibank ad would appear framed within a phone booth? Did some invisible hand miraculously place the author's lost book on a bench next to Anthony Hopkins to find? Or is it us, the subjects, who are making the meaningful connection between these random events? This is the big question concerning synchronicity. Jung coined the phrase synchronicity and developed his understanding of it over over decades. And he only started to put it down in writing very late in his life. And he he published a monograph covering his understanding of synchronicity just one year before his death. It's entitled Synchronicity, an Acausal Connecting Principle. Now, let me provide a brief summary of how, how this works according to Jung. Jung postulated several levels of the mind. Some of you may be familiar with this. We've talked about it before. First, there's our personal conscious mind. That's the the mind that we are consciously aware of when we are awake. Now, below this conscious level, there's a personal subconscious or unconscious mind. And our personal unconscious mind includes our memories. It's what produces our individual dreams that we have at night and it also can be the cause of our neuroses. Now, even deeper than our personal unconscious, Jung claimed there's a collective unconscious within us, and these are the archetypes, symbols, and impressions that all humanity shares. We did a whole episode on the collective unconscious back in March of this year, episode 49, so please check it out if you haven't listened yet. Now, what Jung proposed, that there is a level even deeper than the collective unconscious, and this is a level that unites the collective unconscious with the external world, with nature. It is one psychophysical reality, one psychophysical level, and this level cannot be reached empirically or even psychologically. But it does appear; it does make itself known through these meaningful coincidences, through synchronicity. Interestingly, Jung worked with quantum physicist Wolfgang Pauli in developing this notion. Pauli contributed in many areas to the development of quantum physics in the 20th century. And he was actually being treated by Jung as a client. He was getting therapy from Jung when when they began discussing the idea of synchronicity. Why this is relevant is that there are certainly possible mind-physical connections in quantum physics. Now, this is controversial, and there are many controversial aspects of quantum physics And I did an entire episode on quantum physics number 28, so also check that one out if you're interested. While it is not understood exactly what role mind plays, if any, in quantum physics, or is it just perhaps measurement that collapses the quantum wave, there's no question that quantum physics has brought the observed and the observer into closer contact than ever before from a scientific standpoint. And I know people say, well, all you need is a measurement to collapse the quantum wave. Well, that measurement must be looked at by somebody eventually, or it's not a measurement. So it comes back to the mind, in my view. But I know it's controversial, so we'll deal with that later. But now, here's a quote from the Journal of Analytic Psychology regarding Jung and Polly's notion of synchronicity, which is pretty interesting. Quote, they conjectured a picture in which the mental and the material arise as two complementary aspects of one underlying psycho-physically neutral reality to which they cannot be reduced and to which direct empirical, empirical access is impossible end quote so synchronicity has to do with meaning in the third part of the webster uh, definition something significant something important And it is us, the observers, that find the meaning in the synchronistic events. And perhaps at some deep level, the universe provides us with an opportunity to reflect on that meaning. And that's certainly possible as the mind and the physical universe have evolved together. And this is because underneath it all, as Hegel proclaimed in his young beliefs, substance and subject are ultimately one. We discussed this in episode 24. Now, let's move on to Charles Pearson's semiotics. We've discussed American pragmatic philosopher Charles Pierce several times in different episodes, quite a fascinating person, and his philosophy is really incredible. Uh, We did two whole episodes, episode 43 and 46, on Pierce's work. Now, what I want to get into now is his important concept of semiotics. We touched on this briefly in those episodes, but I want to get into some more detail now. Semiotics is essentially Pierce's theory of signs. And it played an important role in his entire philosophy. Pierce, like Hegel, was not an animist. He believed all things are essentially connected. And how they are connected is through a triadic concept of first a sign, then secondly, the object of that sign, and then thirdly, an interpretant of the relationship between the sign and the object. A sign can be a word, but signs can be things as well, like smoke is a sign for fire. Or perhaps a change in skin color is a sign of disease. What is important to understand is that all three parts come together in one whole, according to Pierce. There can be no sign without an, an interpreter. There can be no object without a sign. And, and there can be no object, therefore, without an interpreter. They all come together. And interestingly, Pierce went so far to say that a developed interpretation of a sign and and its object by the interpretant, that can become a new sign. So once the interpretation is made, that can actually become a new sign and then the process continues, potentially ad infinitum. This is sort of like the Hegelian sublation that in turn becomes a new notion in itself that then needs another negation and then another sublation again and so on and so forth ad infinitum. Now. It's very interesting that Pierce believed this process was fundamental to the universe itself. He believed in the evolution of the universe, as we discussed in episode 43, and he believed the early primitive universe would have had these primitive rudimentary aspects of sign, object, and interpretant in it, even before human beings came on the scene. Now, for more on this, I recommend cynicism the Keystone of Pierce's Metaphysics. This is a Uh, article that appears in the online digital companion to C.S. Pierce, where he goes into a lot of this uh, in in more detail. So meaning interpretation might be baked into the cosmos from the get-go. Now let's move on to logotherapy. I want to discuss a rather remarkable book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It was published in 1946, and it chronicles Frankel's experiences in a Nazi concentration camp. He was a psychiatrist, and in this book, he outlines his therapeutic method called logotherapy. And basically, it is that one must have meaning and purpose in life to thrive. He found that those prisoners in the concentration camp that could hold on to some purpose beyond themselves were more likely to survive. Now, this is a very popular book. A survey conducted by the United States Library of Congress listed as one of the 10 most influential books ever written in the United States. Now, it's interesting that Frankl was clearly an existentialist. He believed that people have to find their own meaning in life, their own meaning in situations, their own meaning almost in every moment of their life. Let me quote him from the book, quote, ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather must recognize that it is he who is asked In a word, each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible, end quote. Here's another interesting quote from Dan Silvestri regarding Frankl's work. Quote, True meaning of life is to be discovered in the world rather than within man or his own psyche. Being human always points and is directed to something or someone other than oneself, be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself. Self-actualization is possible only as a side effect of self-transcendence, end quote. Now, I believe the reason Frankl's book is so popular is that it's so easily relatable. Satra may have had the same message, but Frankel's real life experiences in the concentration camp get the message across very forcefully. Now, Stephen Covey, you may have heard of him, he's a success coach. He's author of the wildly successful Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He cites Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning as the inspiration behind his own work. Now, let's move lastly on to Hegel. Can't forget Hegel. We did an entire episode on Hegel's subject is substance in episode 30. Too. But let me quote him again here, because this is one of the most famous of all his quotes. Quote In my view, which must be justified by the exposition of the system itself, everything hangs on apprehending and expressing the truth, not merely as substance, but also equally as subject. End quote. So the truth is equally substance and subject. And in short, substance is equal to subject. And Hegel, as he says in this quote, this is what Hegel's system is all about, which must be justified by the exposition of the system itself, he claims, which he does through this and through this science of logic and the Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences. Now Hegel continues a few paragraphs later in the phenomenology, quote, Thus, what seems to happen outside it to be an activity directed against it is really its own doing. Its substance shows itself to be essentially subject, end quote. Now, as we've discussed with Hegel, nature is the other of rational logic, and a spirit that sublates the two parts into one whole. And the goal of evolution, the goal of spirit, is to have us recognize more and more the unity of our rational logic and nature. Both mind and nature have evolved together, yin and yang, if you will. And by seeing meaningful coincidences in nature, we can come to understand our own minds better. Now, if we go down real deep, as Jung hypothesizes, we come to one unity, one psychophysical reality. Quantum physics is certainly pointing in this direction. Jung and Pauli understood this. Hegel and Pierce understood it as well. And it's not just meaningful coincidences. Just observing nature can produce this. The seasons, the growth, the life and death of plants and animals, the air, fire, wind, earth... These are all symbols that the mind can grasp and, onto and, and, and learn from. By seeing events unfold in nature, we see events unfold in ourselves and understand it. That is the purpose of nature, I believe, uh, to help us evolve. Meaningful coincidences are almost like explanation points in, in, in nature. They underline the things that have meaning in our lives. As I mentioned, Jung worked on developing the concept of synchronicity for many years, and at the end of his life, he felt it was just as fundamental a concept as cause and effect. And lastly, let me close just with one of the most memorable lines of the New Testament, and that's John 1.1, and you all know it, In the beginning was the Word. Now, what John or whoever wrote this is saying that the Word, the sign, was at the beginning. And as we've talked about, the sign needs an object, an interpretant, per Pierce. So in a a very abstract sense, the beginning of this gospel concurs with Jung, Pierce, and Hegel. So, to summarize, we've seen that synchronicity, the meaningful juxtaposition of two or more events with no causal relation, can signify a deep connection in the psychophysical realm that lies beneath the collective unconscious and lies beneath scientific inquiry. From a scientific standpoint, quantum physics is pointing the way, but much more understanding is needed to see exactly how this works. We've seen that the this bottom psychophysical layer is perhaps triadic, that it involves a sign, an object, and an interpretant all rolled into one process. And that all goes back to Hegel's famous notion that substance is subject. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this and to all the all the various episodes, please follow the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist, where I'll be listing all the references cited here. And I also post relevant comments in between episodes on that page. So be sure to check it out. I also do a lot of correspondences to different philosophies, different philosophers, different uh, ways of thinking to expand on the, on the current episode there. You can also follow me on Twitter, also at Cunning of Geist, And please be sure to like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen. And please tell your like-minded friends about it as well. Spread the word. Feel free to share these episodes on social media as well. So this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.